Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Van. Well, today, as we mentioned, uh, it is All Saints Sunday, and uh, some of y'all may know what that is. Others of you may not, but just as a brief description, it means that at least once a year, we like to stop and pause and give thanks to God for all those people who have had such a huge impact on our lives and who now, because of Jesus Christ, are enjoying the life eternal uh, with God in heaven. And so we celebrate them. We give thanks to them. Uh, we do not have a Christian of the Month plaque somewhere in the church, right? Instead, we rejoice and we celebrate the fact that these are people that made a huge difference in their lives. And I don't know how it is for you, but when I think about those people, those saints, those ones who were unbelievable examples of what it means to be a Christian, I have uh, an easy time remembering the, the people that either were family to me or were significant parts of my early life, uh, or uh, I think of people who I've gotten to meet by being a pastor who made such a huge impact in the world that they were a part of, that they were the saints, and not only just the, the people who were living a great Christian life, but I kind of have like my, my all-star list. Does that make sense to y'all? Like the people that were just above and beyond when it came to living a Christian life. And of course, the ones that I can name off to you were ones that were, that were important to me, like my grandparents who shared Christ with me and witnessed to me, uh, the people that first introduced me to the idea of becoming a Christian. Uh, I think about them. I think about my youth director growing up, um, about how the fact that he guided me through high school, and now that he is no longer in this world, but he's in heaven, I celebrate and rejoice in him. And uh, I think about those people that I've gotten to meet uh, through the years that were Christian, that did significant things. And when I say that, I mean that years and decades and, and many decades of their life were devoted to picking up the cross of Christ and following Him. And some of those folks, you know, they scooped soup. Some of them uh, delivered meals on wheels. Some of them prayed relentlessly without ceasing. Some of them were spectacular when it came to their worship. And um, I, I got to know them. And when it came time for their funeral, Hundreds and hundreds of people came and bore witness to their, their life and celebrated what they had accomplished and celebrated what God had done for them. So who are those people for you? You know, if you didn't grow up in the church, maybe it was a coworker that first nudged you and said, hey, you should, you should come try this church. Uh, or maybe it was somebody that you, you met in a different place. But in one way or another, they, they introduced you to who Jesus Christ was and they gave you that foundation that has forever changed your life. And I'm so thankful for those people, and I think it's a, a good thing that in a moment we're going to read a list of names of, of people who did exactly that. They bore witness to who Christ was. And when I think about the ones that, you know, are kind of like my, on my all-star list, you know, the, the ones that if I was doing my fantasy Christian league, right, I would, I would draft them first. It, it, it comes down to a few things. One, they had an unbelievable devotion to, to Jesus. And when I say unbelievable, I mean that each and every morning they woke up and the first thing they did was they devoted themselves to the cause of Christ. They prayed, they read their scriptures, they prayed for hours for the people in their lives. And, and then I think about the people that you know, gave thousands of hours and years and decades of service to Christ in one way or another. Some of them were pastors, some of them were missionaries, and, and some of them were just 
moms and grandmas that their ministry was their kids and their, their friends' kids. You know, they, 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 that was their, their ministry. And they had that unbelievable devotion that, that each and every day it seemed like they were fully committed to being Christ to other people. And I have done my best and, and looked at that and said and asked the question of, well, how do we get more people like that, right? How do we, how do we find more people like that? Because so oftentimes you find Christians that start off well, but then they just kind of fizzle out, and they get to a place of complacency, and they don't really have the same love or devotion they did to Christ at one point. Uh, or, you know, it just comes, it's such a burden for them. You know, they, they show up to worship, and they barely get to the announcements before they're like, oh, I wish I'd stayed home. This is too hard. Why did they pick this song? Why did they pick this hymn? Do we have to say the Lord's Prayer again? You know, they get to a place of just kind of meh. That's a real word, meh. Complacency, apathy. I, uh, a couple years ago, I got to go to a, a city that I always wanted to visit. I got to go to Seattle. Any of y'all been to Seattle? And I got to go in September, and it was beautiful, um, and the weather was gorgeous, and we got a week where there was no rain, so everybody was like, how did you plan that? It's like, the Lord's good, you know. And uh, we got to go, and so it was a continuing edge event, and so I was there to learn, but I also had some time where I could go and look around the city a little bit. And I, I walked down uh, through an area that's part of the University of Washington, and I remember going down the sidewalk. I got to the corner in between the part of the city and then the university and the corner, and I looked up to my left, and right next to me was the United Methodist Church. And it was a beautiful day. You know, I'll give myself some credit, but I have no idea how I would not noticed that there was a Methodist church next to me all the way down the city block because the building of this church was an entire city block. I mean, it was huge. And they have this beautiful sanctuary, this beautiful steeple. And uh, I was looking at it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. They've got a whole city block. They're sitting right next to the university. They must do tremendous things for this city. And I began to look, and I said, well, I wonder where their worship times are. They probably have like 18 services, right? They probably have just a huge congregation. And they had one. They had one service. And then they had another announcement on their, their board outside, and it said that they welcomed another denomination to come and worship in their space. And then the, 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 the puzzling thing to me, the, the thing that bothered me the most that day, and don't get me wrong, don't, don't paint me in the wrong brush, right? But their sign, it said this. It says, we support our Islamic brothers and sisters, okay? That's good. Support them. But I was like, why are they advertising for another religion? Okay? Now, some of y'all think, that's good. Me? I think heresy, all right? I think you, are, you have messed up horribly if you were at a place where your religion is advertising for another one. Okay, that's just me. You can put that on me. Not everybody here agrees with me. But for me, if you're a business, say for instance, you are a pizza company. Do you put up a sign that says, we support the other pizza company? Go to them. No, you don't do that. All right, I'll back off. Don't worry. All right. And so I, uh, I was looking at the history. They, they have it all printed up. And it's a fascinating history. They started with like 14 people and they were devoted to God. They prayed, they read their Bible study, 
they saved up, they, they scraped together enough money to be able to afford their own preacher. And then they got their preacher and they built themselves a small little chapel and um, all the way up to the Great Depression. And believe it or not, the Great Depression was the point at which this church exploded. They went from around 50 to 60 people to over 2,000 people in worship. Huge, huge amount of people. And they continued to build and to grow, and I cracked up. They had like early forms of advertising for their church, and on the postcard that they had in the history, it said, gospel preaching, great music, and live youth. <laughs> Did other churches have dead ones? I don't know, <laughs> but they had live youth, yeah. And so gospel preaching, great music, live youth. And at the beginning of the history, they were like, we wanted to make a place where people could hear the good news of Jesus Christ and have a place where they could be supported and encouraged and be in mission to the, the sovereign word of God. And they're Methodist. I'm like, yes. And then around 1960, 68, the history begins to shift and to change. And they said, and then things got different. They said that the neighborhood began to change. There was now more homeless people you know, you could almost begin to hear all the excuses and lies beginning to tell themselves in the life of their congregation. They're like, oh, we know we got a brand new university across the street, and, and those people don't know Jesus, so we probably will never be able to reach them. Oh, my gosh. You know, and then they were like, and then, you know, the other people just decided they no longer wanted to be part of our church, and, and then they're in decline, and they've got a church now that fills an entire city block that's ministering to 30 people on a Sunday. And I thought to myself, if there was some way, if there was some way I could take a thousand people from the Great Depression that had given from meager means to build their church and to start their congregation, if there's some way I could like, transport all of them, put them in the Wayback Machine or whatever it is, and bring them to the 30 people, I would love to hear that conversation. I would love to hear those people say, have you forgotten why we're here? I mean, don't you think that's how the conversation would go? I mean, the only other possibility that I could imagine if it wasn't, did you forget who Jesus was, would probably be something like, get out! Because that was why they were there. Gospel preaching, great music, live youth, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I, I kind of thought to myself, how did that happen? And I just got to believe somewhere along the way they said, well, we're doing good enough. We're doing some good things. Oh, we can't get ahead. There's a whole group of people on the other side of the street that don't know who the Lord is and we'll never be able to reach them. You know, somewhere along the way they, they compromised and they said and they told themselves excuses and they lied to each other and they said, oh, it doesn't really matter. Times have changed. Things don't really seem to be getting any better. It was somewhere along the way, they, they made those compromises. They said to themselves, it's all right. It's okay. And I thought, that's what we do too. We do the same thing. We start off with a burning and great passion for the mission of Jesus Christ. And then along the way, we just begin to start making small sacrifices, give ourselves excuses, tell each other, it's okay. Right? And so I want to share with you a scripture from uh, the book of Revelation. And the good news is, if you're feeling a little squirmish or guilty, just remember, he's not talking to you. He's talking to an ancient church in Turkey in a town called Laodicea, right? 
Hopefully that'll comfort you. We'll see. Um, Revelations chapter 3, and uh, early part of Revelations, John is talking to a group of churches that are now what is now modern-day Turkey, and he's addressing them, and he's saying, you know, here's what God has to say to you. He says, I know your works. Uh, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And that word spit in the Greek, I think it's like spew or hurl. I don't make things up, right? And, and so he says, I'm about to spit you out. And, and what is he saying to this church? Not us. He's saying to that church, right? He's saying, you're not, you're not fired up. You don't have a zeal. You don't have a passion. Sure, you're going through the motions, but, but are you excited about it? Are you inspired about it? Are you in fire for what, what you're part of? And he's saying, not only are you not on fire, are you not excited, or you don't have a zeal for it, but you're not even cold. You could at least be cold. You know, it's, it's a little refreshing. You're not either of those. You're, you're lukewarm. You're mediocre. You're meh. Yeah. And so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spit you out. Aren't you glad he's not talking to us? I mean, spit us out. And he says, uh, he says, after all, you say, I'm rich, I've grown wealthy, and don't need a thing. I mean, that's like the biggest red flag that we can have in our hearts. If in our prayer time we tell God, I don't need a thing. I'm good. Don't bother me. I don't need anything. Don't need a Savior. Don't need a Lord. I don't need a thing. And he goes on. He says, uh, you don't realize that you are miserable, pathetic, poor, blind, and naked. Who does, right? We never realize that. This is uh, verse 18. My advice is that you buy gold from me that has been purified by fire so that you may be rich and, and wear clothing, and white clothing to wear so that your nakedness won't be shamefully exposed and ointment to put on your eyes so that you may see. I correct and discipline those whom I love. Isn't that great news? God loves us. He doesn't just leave us where we are, but he brings us along and corrects us and puts us on the right path. It says, uh, I correct those and discipline those whom I love. So be earnest and change your hearts and lives. I mean, you can imagine just how concerned that early church might have been when they heard these words, right? They're thinking, I thought we were doing good. And then John points out to them and says, but you have no passion, you have no zeal, you have no fire for the Lord. And then John offers the solution, the way in which Christ wants to change everything for these people. He says, so be earnest and change your hearts and lives. Look, I'm standing at the door knocking. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and be with them and will have dinner with them and they will have dinner with me. As for those who emerge victorious, I will allow them to sit with me on my throne just as I emerged victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. If you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so what's the solution? He says, you know, have you, have you invited Jesus into your life? Do you have fellowship with him on a regular basis? He says, you know, if you're, if you're lukewarm, if you're meh, then chances are you, you haven't made room for him in your life. You've got your room filled with things that don't allow for you to open the door and invite him in things that you think are important, relationships you think are essential, or, or whatever the case might be, but, but you, you're not letting him be a part of your life. It's such a beautiful image, isn't it? I mean, it's such a one that we can relate to. 
Because we all have times in our lives where the doorbell rings and we think to ourselves, huh, I didn't order anything. I'm not expecting a delivery. Who's there? And I don't know about y'all, but I kind of like go around the side of my wall and look at my door, say, who is it? And if it's like a salesperson or obvious salesperson, I'm like, I'm just going to pretend like I'm not home. <laughs> I know y'all don't do that. Or if you do open your door, you know, there's those, those people that you kind of put your arm on the, the doorway and then the other hand on the handle, and you're kind of like, what do you want? You know, you don't let anybody in. Yeah. And when Jesus gives us that image, I mean, it, it says so much about where our, our spiritual life is, where our relationship with him, isn't it? You know, are we kind of pretending like we're not there? Ringing the doorbell and you're like, I think he wants the neighbor. <laughs> or that we kind of, you know, say, you can come this far, Christ, but no further. Or are we inviting him into our life and saying, we, we need you to be our, our Lord. We beg of you to be our Savior. We know that you are the Savior of the Lord. We know that you are the Lord of all eternity, and we want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. I mean, have you, have you welcomed them into your heart? I'm so thankful for the saints, my grandparents, and my pastors that said, you need Jesus in your heart. You need him to be the center of your life. I am so thankful for that. I am so thankful for that because of the many, many times that he has made such a huge difference in my life for the way that he has helped me to become a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better friend, how each and every part of my life has been shaped and molded and, and challenged and, and healed by his love and by his grace, all because I was willing to invite him in, to trust that his presence in my life was going to be a blessing, and to see the great things that he alone can do. That's the great news. The, the bad news is, folks, there's always going to be something that's trying to push him out of your life. I wish, I wish I had some magic solution or magic pill I could give you today that would say, from here forth, you are never going to have to pause and refocus your life upon Christ. From here on out, there won't be any distractions. There won't be anything that deters you. But rather, from now on, it's always going to be right there. I wish I could do that for you. But the reality is that each and every day you need to wake up and you need to say, come Lord Jesus into my heart, into my life, and let him be the guide of your life each and every day, each and every moment, to not let the compromises, not to believe the lies, not to let the things that distract you keep you from following him, but instead to say, he is my Lord, he is my savior, I am going to follow him. I don't care what the rest of the world does, I don't care what the rest of the day brings, he is my Lord and my Savior, and my heart belongs to Him. And if you'll do that, you'll find that zeal, that passion, that longing to see Christ at work in the lives of other people. You'll find yourself once again begging Him to work in the lives of the people that you love and that you care for and that are far from Him. You'll find yourself willing to step forward and say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Invite him in, call on him this day, so that you can be part of the saints that have gone on before us. And on that great day of celebration when we're all with them together, 
you can rejoice and give thanks and say, I am so glad I gave my life to the Lord. I am so glad I served him. And we can stand with him, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with all those that have gone on before us and rejoice in what he has done. So invite him into your heart this day. Give thanks to him. Listen to his voice. And you will be with him victorious on that day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in you. We give you thanks. We confess that we don't always listen for the way that you are calling in our lives. We don't always spend enough time with you or focus upon you. So Lord, we pray and ask that you would help us to invite your Son, Jesus Christ, into our hearts and our lives this day. Help us to give thanks to him. Help us to rejoice this day in all the saints that have gone on before us. In Christ's name we pray.